to the 191st installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Projects podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. In May 2017, the Land Stewardship Project's George Booty traveled to France and participated in a conference called Sequestering Carbon in Soil, Addressing the Climate Threat. This was an international meeting involving farmers, scientists, government officials, and nonprofit organizations interested in the role building healthy soil can play in sequestering greenhouse gases and heading off catastrophic changes to the world's climate. Booty recently stepped down as LSP's executive director after serving 23 years in that role. He's currently LSP's lead staffer working on science and special projects. Among other initiatives, Booty works with the Chippewa 10% Project in West Central Minnesota and the Bridge to Soil Health Initiative in southeastern Minnesota. After he returned from France, Booty sat down with me to talk about what he learned at the conference and LSP's role in supporting and promoting farming systems that build healthy soil and sequester greenhouse gases. So, George, I was wondering if you could just give us a little background on what this conference was, what was kind of the point of it was, what the goal was, and, and who, who else was in attendance there, and, and maybe why LSP was there. The conference was called Sequestering Carbon in the Soil, Addressing the Climate Threat. It convened scientists and um, internationally NGOs or non-government organizations, non-profits here in the U.S. like Land Stewardship Project and many others, including those from the global south as well as the north, so Latin America, Africa, Philippines, uh, China. It included farmers who are on a small landowner basis are growing things in a way that leads to more carbon in the soil as well as farmers in Europe and the United States doing some of that. And so it was a it was a pretty broad cross section of people. And it was convened because there's a growing understanding that soil soil and healthy soils particularly, mm-hmm. especially healthy soils actually needed are part of how we can respond to climate. That is to say, we still need need to keep growing food, but that's going to be increasingly more difficult under really extreme weather conditions. And also then that that soils can, if they're functioning well, actually pull carbon dioxide out of the air and store it in the soil. So soils are part of one part of the solution to try to slow the, the rapidly increasing global temperatures that are a function of climate change. And this is very good timing for LSP to be involved with something like this because we've been doing some exciting work around soil health and creating some networks of farmers who are um, using cover cropping and managed rotational grazing and trying to integrate the two uh, to build soil organic matter. And we just had a series of meetings Yet again, this winter, there were standing room only, that type of thing. But one of the things, before we get too much into that relationship between agriculture and soil health and climate change and things that we can uh, do about this problem, I think one of the things you'd said earlier that really struck you at this meeting is how daunting of a problem we have in that I think maybe sometimes people in the media it starts to become one more bad headline after another about the situation that we have with climate change. 
But this one, when you said when you went to this meeting, it really brought brought it home to you that there's not just it's not just environmentalists that are worried about this. It's really become a very dire situation or a dire concern amongst a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds. Yes, that's definitely true. the The conference started out with the question, "Well, why are we here?" and we were encouraged to think deeply, if you will, about places, people, communities we love. That's really what this is about. Think about our kids and, and their future and our grandchildren or the next generations coming yeah. or the places. So a poet who lives in the Marshall Islands, Kathy Jetnell Kilner, or recited a poem that she'd written. One of the things that she had in there is that she was looking at her toddler who had a, a temperature. You know, it wasn't a large temperature. It was maybe 100, which, you know, isn't super high for a young child. But that was enough to make the child listless. And, you know, you could tell something's wrong. So her point was that two degrees centigrade doesn't sound like much. But it is. And that for the Marshall Islands, 1.5 degrees centigrade increase in temperature, which is roughly where we are already from pre-industrial times, might be enough to wash them away completely and utterly. Mm. Now, this is the place where that had an extreme, re where we tested nuclear weapons above ground. So, I mean, they've had a long litany of domination by the developed world right. and here's here it will be happening again and it's not just there uh, there's a there's a, a movie out about um, Norfolk Virginia and how it's suffering already from uh, flooding from just minor rainfall events because they're so close to sea level already sea levels starting to rise mm -hmm. this is not theoretical this is very real. And the insurance industry is clear that if we hit 2 degrees C in increase in global average temperatures, their business model is going to be systemically uninsurable. Now, that's just not about their business. This is about how do we pay for the destruction that's going to come from catastrophic events right. and from extreme weather events, whether it's fire or it's floods. Uh, a UN negotiator, lead climate negotiator, really said that if, if we don't get serious about starting to lower our emissions in the next three years globally, that we will inevitably hit 2 degrees C in the near, in the near future. So time is of the essence. I'd known that before, but it was reinforced for me very much by going to this. Yeah. Well, and agriculture is in an interesting juncture with this in that it's both impacted by climate change. You know, we're seeing more and more incredible storms and more frequent flooding and washouts uh, that are supposed to be thousand-year events, and they seem to come year after year, and it's, uh, it, it's affecting yields. But also, and that's part of the reason you were there, is it can have a positive impact. And you mentioned we, one of the things we have to do is we have to reduce the production of these greenhouse gases, but there's been a lot of excitement in pre in current the last few years around the ability of agriculture to, by building soil health and building soil organic carbon, sequester greenhouse gases. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about kind of what 
some of the discussion was around that and how it maybe fits in with what LSP has been doing here the last few years around soil health and, and working with some farmers. What was encouraging for me and hopeful for me in relation to land stewardship projects work is that uh, it reinforced for me that we're on the right track. There's a lot that we maybe don't fully know for science, but I think virtually every scientist that was there is in agreement that we know enough to proceed, and that has to do with cover and restoring more cover in our cropping systems and especially maintaining cover where it exists. So if we've got grasslands, the worst thing that can happen right now is to take those out of grass Mm -hmm. and put them into a cropping system. So this notion of protecting diversity where it exists, and, and that means that we need to support the farmers and the small landholders around the world that are taking care of this land and that would take care of it this way. In addition to this notion of continuous living cover, it's about soil health. It's also about equity. And that, again, taps into what LSP is trying to do. Uh, Farmers and those representing that kind of work with small landholders. And keep in mind that 70% of the world's food is grown by small landholders, often women. They need to be assisted to do more where they can and to, to be able to stay in business. We need those people on the land managing it well, mm-hmm. just like we need small and moderate-sized farmers on the land and managing it well here. Mm-hmm. So there's a connection between the kind of work that LSP is doing in that regard with regard to beginning farmers and secure land access. So that was a feature of this conference. How does secure land access relate to soil health? It relates to the people who can be on there. So that was another tie into our work. And I think there's potential for more uh, linking together with those working in the global south and in the kind of work we're doing here on those kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. And it, it, um, it just reinforced that storing carbon in the soil happens through soil health and that means that the livelihood of farmers, they have to be able to make a living doing, growing diversity of crops and living cover. That's, that's what has to happen. So we're not going to get more storage in the carbon unless we do those kinds of things. And in fact, storage in, of carbon in the soil will be a result of doing those kinds of things. So that's where we need to focus, as well as in, uh, talking about the good practices that... Uh, lead to soil health. And and uh, at least for some of the scientists there, not all, they fully understand that that means animals back on the land, especially ruminant animals, because it's through grazing and improved grazing and improved land management that we get some of that soil health, at least in grassland type of areas. I think that brings up another interesting point is that it does require, it's easy for when people look at things like uh, okay, as long as we could keep the land covered in some fashion, we can sequester carbon. And uh, then it's tempting to, to kind of fall back on old habits and look at things like, well, if we just do a no-till system or if we just find a way to put in a monoculture or whatever cover, everything's fine. But it kind of what it sounds like what you found reinforced was this work that LSP's been doing where we're trying to integrate livestock, cover crops, pasture, 
uh, in a way, you know, f- you know, financially viable way for farmers, uh, and not just and and really look at it holistically, trying to look at this that soil as a holistic system, but also the farming system that you're using there as a holistic way so that you're not just using one silver bullet and attaching yourself to that and then getting maybe getting some results, but not, not getting that long-term resiliency that you're looking for. I think resiliency is key. There will be those in the industry that say, well, you know, corn, we, we know how to grow corn at plus two degrees C. It's already being grown south of the equator. We already know we can do that. So that's there. But my feeling is that uh, the health of the soil comes from the inter- interrelationship amongst the organisms on top of the soil in, and in the soil. And for example, the, the hyphae or the filaments from fungi interconnect. So they can interconnect even a soybean and a corn plant if they're in closer proximity, but not when they're in massively large tracts, mm-hmm. plantations. For all of this to work, it's about relationships of different organisms to each other, not when they're isolated yeah. in a vat or in a, in a big tract. Uh, and I think that's what it's about for human community, too. We, you know, if farmers are going to make a living on the land, they need markets for the kinds of products they produce. So, so we need more markets for diverse products that are, so that they can make a living, so that the soil can make its living so that we can pull carbon out of the atmosphere. Some are still looking at soils too simplistically and at too shallow a depth. So deep soil storage comes from those roots going down Mm -hmm. several feet and the relationship to the organisms around the roots, not just in the plow layer of the top, six or so inches. So we really need to rethink about how we're... And we need to make sure that when there's modeling going on, it, it accounts for the, the full complexity of it rather than approaching it incredibly simplistically. That being said, I think one of the clear messages from here that's very important is that in terms of science, we don't need perfection. We need to, we need to, get, we need to be moving. Mm-hmm. We've got enough to move. I mean, this is a, an issue you've been pretty passionate about and that you've been studying looking at the science and you've you work a lot with the Chippewa 10% project and some other initiatives where farmers are putting some of these practices in place was there any did you anything that really surprised you there that you hadn't didn't know before that kind of that maybe is being done in a different part of the world or you hadn't thought about in a certain way before um, I don't know if I was surprised by it, but uh, reminded, I guess, or maybe um, one of the ways that uh, can be very effective in this is uh, silvopasture or more trees in the system. You know, in the Midwest and in the prairie area, <laughs> trees aren't uh, maybe as desirable, so to speak. But, but on a savanna, they can be, and there were certainly some trees in the prairie. So I think we can do more in thinking about that. It's a reminder that that kind of agroforestry or but silvopasture combining not necessarily a, a woodland or a forest, but some trees as part of the system could increase, it can increase productivity mm-hmm. and it can increase soil health potentially and carbon storage. So, so I was very much brought it to the front of my 
thinking more than I, it typically has been for me. Even though as part of Greenland's Blue Waters, that's part of agroforestry is part of what we look at. We haven't done as much of that in the Chippewa 10% project, although what we're doing is helping landowners restore the function of some of their woodlands by actually in, incorporating grazing into it. So in some sense it is part of it, but mm. it's a reminder not to overlook that and look for opportunities. We let off this podcast talking a little bit about the dire situation that we're in, but I guess in general after going to this conference, you know, kind of a real cutting-edge international conference where it's bringing in some real deep thinkers on this, how did you walk away from that? How did you feel? I still walked away feeling somewhat hopeful. You know, I'm not sure we'll be able to stop 2 degrees C, unfortunately, but... But here's, here's the thing, is whether people choose to believe this or not, and whether there's policies, say, at the U.S. government level that help us move toward reducing greenhouse gas emissions or not, businesses around the world are already moving to that because mm-hmm. it's good business. When farmers try this, tries, you know, something like, uh, cover crops, um, if it works for them, <laughs> and in any given year it might not, you know, but if, if they can try it over time and find that it works and, and that all of a sudden um, grazing works, you know, good grazing works, management-intensive rotational grazing, mob grazing works, they tend to stick with it. So I feel like there's... I feel like there's a lot of uh, hope in that. Some want to slow us down or pretend it's not happening, but the world knows it's happening. The thing we want to do is make sure that as we move this forward, it really does support small landowners, small to mid-sized farmers, not just another way to incentivize land grabbing, whether that's here in the United States, that secure land tenure needs to be part of it. So we we have to really work hard at that. And I think, you know, this is not the kind of language that's common here, but I think some of the some of the principles are sovereignty, resiliency, a good economy, and that uh, we should empower farmers with more information, not just BMPs. That came from a farmer, came from a U.S. farmer who was at the conference talking about it, and that we need to learn to ask why about everything so that we know we learn and start deciding to work with nature instead of against her. You know, in ecology, there's this notion that when you remove the keystone species, the system breaks down. What's that in agriculture? I think that's just an interesting thing to think about. It's not one thing. It's not that simple. But I think it's cover and everything that it takes to get cover on the soil. If you remove cover on the soil, it's like removing a keystone species. Yeah. For more on the Land Stewardship Project's work related to helping farmers build healthy soil in economically viable ways, see our website at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, 
Visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.